This is Reforming Thomas, the Baptist Presbyterian. Howdy folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope this finds you well. Thanks for joining me again for episode three. Um, kind of getting, you know, a little exciting out there. We're getting some actual, uh, some listens. I think in the last week, eight people listen to this podcast, which is about seven more than I thought I would have for sure. Uh, so I should take this moment. I'm really bad at this. I'm bad at self-promotion. I'm not good at asking for the things I'm supposed to ask for, even when those things are as simple as saying, hey, take a minute. If you're listening to this, hit like, subscribe, leave me a five-star review wherever you are, share with your friends, get this out there. If you like what you're hearing, if this is good content, and if you think, hey man, these first couple episodes are a little rough, but this guy will get there. Share it out. Let other people know. Help me build some following here because, good gracious, I am terrible at self-promotion. I have to get better at it, obviously. If I want this to be a thing, I'm going to have to get better at it. But for the moment, I'm just not. Because again, I'm (laughs) doing this. I'm making time for this, partially just for myself. So, uh, you know, this is a particularly busy week. I, I even up to this morning wondered if an episode was going to happen. So do me that favor, hit like, and subscribe, leave those good reviews, share with your friends, tell others, get me out there, help me, help me get some following. Um, like I said, eight listeners last week. Um, I've got a couple listeners, not in the country. That's kind of exciting. I've got uh, listeners in the UK and in Germany. I'm pretty sure that's one each and I know exactly who they are. And I thank you. So, uh, so those are exciting stats, even though those aren't big numbers, you know, we're, we're getting somewhere. Uh, maybe one little clarification from something I said last week. Um, I do think expositional preaching is good preaching. (laughs) So, um, it's, you know, when I say that you're not going to get expositional, uh, verse by verse study through a book of the Bible for me on this podcast. That's more a matter of the time I have to put into it. Um, you're just my studying on my personal level is is going to continue on throughout the week. So uh, if I am studying through Philippians one, you might hit me on recording day with you know verse fourteen, and that's where you're going to get. Um, which is funny because that's almost exactly where I'm going to be today. When I wasn't thinking about that, I was I was riffing. So, uh, but you're ne- then it's going to be another week, and so the next time we hit it, I might be all the way into chapter three. Uh, so you're you're just not going to get it. Boom, 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 verse by verse by verse. That's all. I I think expositional preaching is great. I think a lot of people don't do it well. So uh, I think, and it just so happens. I said this last week that the people who don't do it well are usually the ones who yell about how they are doing it. And it's just, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. That doesn't mean that everyone who says they do it is not. That's anyway. uh, I could, I could try to fix things that I thought I was unclear of all day long. Because really the second you hit publish on these things, you immediately for the next 24 hours, just think, Oh, I should have said this. Oh, I messed this up. Nope. Nope. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. And you just have to get over it because if you keep doing that, you're never going to get past it. So what else is going on? Uh, well, I, you, one thing you may not know about me is I am a, I'm a pretty amazing fair weather sports fan. Uh, I don't 
follow a lot of sports very well. I never have, just was never my thing as a kid. Uh, but in adulthood, I've grown to enjoy it more and more, uh, which is still not, you know, to a point of obsession. Uh, but I had an experience uh, when I was a young man getting to see one of Nolan Ryan's very last games in the sport of baseball at Arlington Stadium. And, uh, you know, that's being being from a Texan family, uh, getting to see the Rangers play, getting to see Nolan Ryan play, uh, just has made me a, a Texas fan. I, I'm a fan of the Rangers. Uh, I don't necessarily follow them. I don't know who's playing when. I maybe, maybe check up on stats once a year. But they're in the World Series. And with that, it means that I care about baseball so, so deeply right now. <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, so I missed the first couple of games. My kids and I watched game three the other night. And we caught the very tail end of game four. And they're up three to one. And just one more game and we have the World Series. And I'm excited. Go Rangers. So there you go. That's my, that's my fandom moment for this morning. All uh, right. Uh, the other thing that just happened, of course, yesterday for uh, for normal people, uh, yesterday was Halloween. Our church had a Reformation Day party, which was exciting. And I think our kids had a blast. They uh, they launched potatoes. We had some really good food. Man, people people at our church can cook some brisket. Man, oh. Uh, again, being from a Texas family, that's a pretty important thing to me. <laughs> I have a I have a dad who who smokes a mean brisket, and the brisket at this uh, at this church gathering was top notch. Uh, and so, I mean, we we're we joined this church not even knowing what their potluck game was like. That that should tell you something about the Baptist to Presbyterian change. Uh, so, but was had a great time, really good fellowship. Uh, my kids square danced. It was, I think, really fun for them. I think uh, the whole night was fun. And and there was a moment where uh, several several of the kids present shared brief presentations on four famous reformers. And at, when they said, we're going to share about some of the famous reformers, I thought, okay, if I had to pick four reformers just off the top of my head, my my Hall of Fame reformers, but I can only pick four. Who am I going to pick? Okay, well, you know, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox. Who's going to be in the fourth slot? Well, I thought to myself, no one ever, no one ever does this, but I want number four to be William Tyndale. Uh, and sure enough, the number four was William Tyndale. I was so excited, and it's fun being in that kind of a group because. You know, when they said William Tyndale, I, I, I lost control and I went, yes, someone laughed. But then a minute later, someone goes, their next one is John Calvin. And someone goes, yay, because, because we're just all a bunch of church history nerds. It's amazing. Uh, but so William Tyndale, uh, well, before I get into William Tyndale, let me just say about this Reformation Day party, um, you know, churches try to come up with alternatives to Halloween. I was a I was a Halloween kid. I wanted the candy. I, I enjoyed the costume. Uh, I had fun on Halloween. Uh, 
uh, and the churches we grew up in, you know, they would also try to come up with that. You know, they call it a harvest festival or they, or they say everyone's going to come and dress up as Bible characters. Well, you know, the one problem with dressing up as Bible characters is that the kids in our family all had Bible names. So guess what Thomas had to go as during the year that they said, let's be Bible characters. Yep. I was Thomas. And, you know, I like to think of the apostle Thomas as a man who sought truth and verification, but for the rest of my life, I get called the doubting Thomas. Well, it's not that far off anyway. Uh, or, you know, everyone should come as a Noah's Ark animal. And I think they put a stop to that. Uh, but you know, when you're trying to take this on, you, you, you just, it, it gets rough because it's hard to make it anything different. So when you're making it about the reformation, because October 31st is the anniversary of Martin Luther posting the 95 theses on the doors of the church at Wittenberg. And that's where we kind of consider that it officially started the reformation. That's just a nice way to bring it back to the whole point, justification by faith, worship of God, uh, sola scriptura, these, these properties that will ultimately bring you to the worship of the one true God. Um, instead of, instead of giving, cause we Christians, we kind of give cheap knockoffs of the fun thing, right? You always say, if you're, if you're going to say, well, I'm going to make a Christian Twitter, it has to be better than Twitter. I'm going to make a Christian Facebook. It has to be better than Facebook. And I'm sorry, but both those platforms are terrible, but they're, the, they're about the best at what they do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we make Christian movies. They have to be better than secular movies and they very seldom are. So if we're going to have Christian Halloween, we have to do better. So to say, we're not even going to try to do Halloween. We're going to do, we're going to do a, an unofficial church holiday and have fun and have a party and, and let all these kids have fun and let all the adults have great fellowship. There you go. That's a winner. That is a winner. So it was just fun. I hope to see it again. If you get a chance to do a reformation day party next year, do it, uh, get a group together, get your church excited make it your thing. Uh, cause I, I do think you can enjoy Halloween without celebrating Halloween, but man, it's, it's a dark world out there, guys. I don't know. I don't know if I want to mess with it too far. So William Tyndale, let me tell you why William Tyndale is just, you know, we, the, the more you go through church history, you, you'll, you'll get heroes, right? You'll, you'll start to latch onto some people. You'll start to look at some people as, as, you know, kindred spirits for lack of a, better term coming to my head right there. Uh, William Tyndale is my guy. I, I'm appreciative of William Tyndale. Uh, you know, if, if you don't know William Tyndale, he, he fled England for the express purpose of translating the Bible into English. Uh, he, he saw a need for the Bible to be in English. That very act, really the idea was illegal. He asked for permission. They said, no, he fled. Um, and, and the, the quote, you know, this was, he said to a, I believe he said this to a bishop or a, or a, or a priest. I, I'm sorry. I don't have everything in front of me and I'm not that level of historian to say, I know exactly when he said this. Um, 
But if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. And so he, that's what he did. And he went to Germany and he studied, uh, he, he was fluent in, I think, seven language at the, languages at this point. He was a tutor. He knew Greek, but he did not know Hebrew. So he goes to Germany. He signs in under a pseudonym and studies Hebrew under Martin Luther. And then he goes about the business of translating the Bible. And he starts with the New Testament and he's shipping Bibles back to England and you know, some people are maliciously, uh, this will actually come up in what we talk about in a second. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll remember to tie this back in. Some people are maliciously buying these Bibles and burning them, which only funds more Bibles because they're buying up all the Bibles. Um, but so Tyndale is, is doing this. He gets a, a, a portion of the Old Testament done. He meets some people and this guy invites him over for dinner. And sure enough, it's a trap and Tyndale is arrested and put in prison for 18 months and then burned at the stake and not just burned at the stake. Some, some accounts, uh, say that, you know, they, first off, they strangled him at the stake and some people reportedly put gunpowder in amongst the, the, the bushels of, of hay and, and, and straw and wood that were there to burn him. And so, I mean, they, they did not just burn him for translating the Bible into English. They strangled him and they blew him up. I mean, gruesome, gruesome because he wanted the Bible accessible in English. Everyone today, we don't think we think that's, that's, that's outlandish, right? And it was outlandish, but at the time it was, no, we have ended heresy by ending William Tyndale. But the work William Tyndale did on his Bible went on to be most of what we know as, as the English Bible today. The work that he did made up 80 to 90% of what would become the King James Bible. The work that he did is some 70% of of almost any major English translation. I, I've been carrying around in my back pocket for the last several weeks, uh, a little, just one of those little vest pocket, uh, new testaments. I have this little ESV and, and I've been, you know, just trying to up my Bible reading. And so I have something that I can just grab and instead of flipping through my phone, just read. And, and I, it is so easy to take this for granted. But I have this little guy in my back pocket and can access the word of God anytime I want. And I can read it anytime I want. And this is largely thanks to the work done through William Tyndale is a big deal. And as William Tyndale uh, died at the stake, his final words reportedly were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And what happened very shortly thereafter was the English Reformation. And you can get into an argument about the politics, about the English Reformation, but point being, God answered his prayer and God used this man mightily. And that is something I, I just never want to take for granted. The fact that I can have this little Bible in my back pocket and that it's in a language I can understand without knowing Latin. It's kind of a, kind of awesome.
so we'll see how I get into here. I, I like I said, I I make time for this podcast, so I want to share what I'm studying. I want to share what's what's in kind of my my own hopper for Bible study, but I also don't uh, I don't have the the time or the wherewithal here to be writing like a full fledged sermon or to be going on a super, super deep dive into something. And, and, and if I hit something that just absolutely necessitates it, or I get questions, I I will make the time to do those things, but we'll see how this goes. I'm I'm looking this morning at Philippians one, 15 through 18, uh, just because it's something that's honestly, it's uh, Philippians has been a book that I've been in for a while. Uh, a few years ago, I had to fill in uh, to preach, and I ended up, uh, just due to circumstances, I ended up filling in for about six weeks instead of for the one or two that I thought I was going to be filling in for. And I knew that I wanted to preach on Philippians 1, 15 through 18, when when I knew I was going to have to fill in at all. I said, I, I, this is what I want to do. And then as I started reading through this epistle. And as I started getting prepared, I thought, well, I'm actually, uh, I've got a couple weeks to preach. Of course, it turned out to be six. And I'm going to start at Philippians 1, 1. And if I can get to 15 through 18, by the time I'm done preaching, I will get to the passage that I started out thinking was the one I wanted to preach. That'd be great. And I think, don't even know if I made it that far in six weeks. It took me a while, but I just made a decision at that time. You know, opportunities to preach will come up from time to time. And if I get the chance to preach, I will preach out of Philippians until I'm through. And so it took me uh, about a year to get through chapter one of Philippians. And, uh, and and partially because there were even other times that I got asked to speak somewhere that I, I needed to be somewhere else, uh, in, in scripture, I guess, uh, you know, I, uh, one, one time I, I had a passage in Samuel that, I, that I was, it was on my heart and I was asked to preach and I needed to do that, uh, Habakkuk. And then, so it took me, it took me a long time to get just through one chapter of Philippians, but it all started with this. And this was on my mind, um, just based on a few conversations I've had lately, some thoughts I've had, especially, uh, like I said, I'm, you know, the title Baptist Presbyterian for this podcast, it's, it's there partially because it's catchy and it's fun. Uh, and it makes people go, what in the world is this? Uh, but also because we are going through this process of, uh, as a family of, of joining a Presbyterian church. And for me, that comes after 40 years of being a Southern Baptist um, not, not to mention being ordained as a Southern Baptist minister and the third generation of my family to be ordained as a Southern Baptist minister. And a lot of, a lot of what led us to this point, uh, I think about this passage when I think about those things, I try not to dwell on those things or have any anger, but that's, that's where it comes. So uh, let me let me read this these couple of verses to you, and then let's just talk about them in brief a little bit. This is Philippians 1, 15 through 18. This is Paul's in captivity in Rome, and he is uh, discussing 
how his situation, even though obviously being in captivity, being under house arrest is not ideal. Uh, he has things to rejoice about. Uh, and earlier in verse 12, he says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And that's really what he's, what he's, what he's driving at here in this moment. So verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, those verses always kind of hit me, especially as you grow in the church and as you grow in faith and you, you start to realize that not everybody in the world is saying the same thing, <laughs> that, uh, that there are disagreements within bodies of believers. There are disagreements between different bodies of believers. And, and, and sometimes that leads to some, some angst, some, some pettiness, uh, to, to people just outright opposing one another when they're supposed to be on the same team. And, and Paul's words here, his description of what's happening around him in Rome with these other teachers really strikes me uh, because he, he sees the motivations. There are other people around him preaching the gospel and some are doing it out of complete goodwill. Some of them are trying to follow him, follow his teaching, and by the greater extension, follow the teaching of Christ and proclaim Christ out to everybody. But some of them, for whatever reason, are like are thinking, I don't like Paul. I trust in Jesus. I don't care for Paul. You know what I'm going to do? What will really get his goat is if I go preach Christ when he can't. I don't know why. That's I mean, that's very petty to me. But that seems to be what's going on. And Paul's response, though, is, I don't care. You know, you can't hurt me as long as Christ is being proclaimed. Let's, let's not split hairs here, you know, like go ahead. And the, the one thing here is I think some people use this to say, Hey, anybody who proclaims Jesus Christ, if, if, if the name of Christ comes off their lips, we need to give them a lot more grace. We need to not question that. We need to not say just because they baptize differently or they have a different view of egalitarianism or they, or they do communion a little differently or they, they touch some little piece, you know, as long as they're proclaiming Christ, we need to let that go and not worry about it. Um, and, and I, I see, I see that, I see what they're saying and they'll also draw, draw in. So here's Mark, uh, from the book of Mark, uh, chapter nine, uh, you know, disciples come, come to Jesus and they say, Hey, we, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. And Jesus says, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me for the one is who is not against us is for us. And people will take this along with hear what Paul has said in Philippians. And say, yeah, the one who's not against us is for us. So 
let's not let's not get divided on on little issues. So are Jesus and Paul telling us that anyone proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ is on equal footing and to be listened to? So have some of us, because I mean, I've, I'm only on episode three. You haven't heard me get to a point where I've had to call out, you know, I've had to mention something I've, I've heard from a, a Stephen Furtick or, or someone like that. And, and that's not really what I'm planning to do in this podcast, but it'll happen one day. It just will. Um, but are, are we, are we making a mistake here? Because those people say that they are working in the name of Christ. So aren't we all on the same team? Shouldn't we all be doing the same thing? Isn't that what these verses are telling me? Well, the first thing that, that stands out to me here is that the person being targeted by this preaching, you know, Christ is being proclaimed, but the negative side of this that Paul's being targeted with, it's Paul the one, Paul is the one being targeted. Uh, for whatever reason, those preachers in Rome are, Rome are trying to spite him. And his response is, if they are preaching the same Christ as we are, then let's just rejoice for the preaching of the gospel and not get up in arms that they are essentially being jerks to me. Uh, no doubt if they were preaching a different gospel or had Jesus been the target, we'd see a different reaction. Because look at look at anything else Paul says in the epistles. When the churches are stepping outside of the gospel, Paul isn't like, well, you know, Corinth, you've got some problems, but as long as Christ is proclaimed, I'm not worried about the things you're doing that are antithetical to the gospel. No, Paul says, Corinth, straighten up. <laughs> you're not doing this right. Um, and, you know, the, yes, the disciples make that similar, you know, Jesus, should we, should we stop these people? Uh, well, Jesus Jesus says, no, I mean, if they're, if they're not against us, they're for us. But, but there's also this underlying assumption that those who are for Christ know who he is and understand what, the, what it is they're proclaiming. So you know, I think, you know, there's some who approach Jesus and say that they want to follow him. And it's quickly understood there's there's no understanding there. Thinking about like the rich young ruler, uh, you know, the, here's a guy who's, I mean, really kind of legalist in a sense. You know, I've kept all these commandments since, since my youth. So I'm ready to follow you now because I see what you're doing is great. And Jesus says, right, to follow me, you're going to have to give up everything. And the ruler goes away sad, right? It's not a hard rebuke. But Jesus does, even when the apostles, uh, you know, Peter says, you know, I'm, I won't let anything happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> like, you don't, you're not seeing it. You're not getting it. Uh, when, when the apostles' understanding is lacking, Jesus rebukes them and sets them straight. There's no room for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ if you don't understand the good news of Jesus Christ. The last example that, that came to my mind as I was kind of putting these thoughts together is in Acts 8 and Simon the Magician. So it, it, it states that he, that he saw what was happening, that as others were coming to belief and being baptized, that Simon the Magician believed and was baptized as well. 
and he starts to follow Philip and Peter. And people around him are, you know, the, the apostles are laying hands on people around him and the Holy Spirit's falling on them. And he's seeing this and he's a magician and, and he has done all these amazing things as a magician before his conversion. And surely what he knew at that time was, you know, I can, if I, if I see a power that I can't get, there's a way for me to get it. There's always a deal to be struck. There's something to be done. And Simon goes to Peter and says, how much does this cost? Let me buy this power so I can do what you're doing. And he doesn't just want, you know, as the spirit's falling on all these other believers, at least in my reading, Simon doesn't just want the spirit to fall on him. He wants to be able to lay hands on someone the way that Peter's laying hands on someone, pray for them and give them the spirit. He wants to buy it so he can give it away because he wants to be able to do the same thing. He's had some notoriety as this great magician in the area and he wants to have the same thing. And Peter's response is essentially, you're not one of us, man. You have no part in this. If you think that you can buy the Holy Spirit, you have no part in Jesus Christ. And he essentially tells him he's a false convert and calls him to repentance. And what is, it is disputed a little bit because the next thing that happens is, is Simon uh, you know, Peter tells Simon, you need to pray and repent. And Simon looks at Peter and says, you pray for me so that, so that I'm not doomed. And so there's some dispute whether Simon is repenting there or whether he is literally saying, I'm not going to pray, but you pray. I, you know, it, it, that, that can go back and forth, but, but it's then, then beyond that, then it gets disputed whether his initial conversion as well as this later request for prayer, are those legitimate? Is he really repentant? Is he, you know, but the, the overarching real point of this account is that he's wrong hearted about the power of God and about what that means. But Simon has been with them for a little bit. He has also been, you know, with them, whether, whether, you know, loudly on his own or whether as a part of the group, he has also been proclaiming Jesus with them. He, at the beginning of this narrative, believed and was baptized. Well, shouldn't then, if anyone who's not against us is for us, shouldn't Peter just rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed? No. Because Simon's gospel what he has responded to, presumably, I don't want to make a judgment call on Simon, but let's let's take the approach of the scholar who says that Simon wasn't a real convert. Just for the sake of the argument here. Simon's gospel at this moment, the gospel that he responded to, the gospel under which he was baptized, is a false gospel. Is a gospel that says that the Holy Spirit is a manipulated power that you can take on, that you can do what you will with, and that Jesus is. I mean, basically, he's he has the 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 quintessential pocket Jesus, the little Jesus you put in your pocket and take out when you need something special. He he wants Jesus as a talisman to get him what he wants. That's not, even though he is saying the name of Jesus Christ, he does not know Jesus Christ. And so he's told to stop. And this draws me to that, 
this question, and this is what's really on my mind a lot uh, in when I, when I think about where we came from and, and where we're going is, do the ends justify the means? Because that argument is, it doesn't matter what they do as long as they're proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Um, I struggle with megachurches, right? I think, I think they are... I think they probably do more spiritual harm than they do good. It's a bigger conversation for another day. Um, you know, there's that old rule of 108 that you can have 108 people in your circle of influence. Uh, and if you meet an 109th person, then someone else is going to kind of fall off. Uh, you know, and and for that, you know, that I, I don't know how true that really is in practice. I'm not saying that there's a, a limit or I'm not trying to make a rule here, but if churches, when they got to about 110 to 150, would multiply the church out and keep the both those churches growing, that would probably be a health, two healthier churches than if they grow up to be 200, 300, 500 people. Some of that's personal opinion. I think there's some, I think there's some backing to that opinion. Uh, but those people in the megachurch will say, well, look at all the people who come. The ends justify the means. Yeah, sure, we don't, we don't have, uh, we have a seeker-sensitive worship service, and, and we're not really digging in on the, on, on the scriptures here in the worship service, and, and, and our music is really designed to be an entertainment, not to be a direct, you know, liturgical type worship of God, but look at all the people, look at all the people who are coming and all the people who are hearing us, uh, preach the gospel. And so don't the ends justify the means? All these people are here. Well, you know, my argument is in a lot of those churches, the, the gospel being proclaimed is very seldom repent and believe it's very seldom Christ and him crucified. It's usually, here's how you can be a better dad. Uh, Jesus can make your life better. Or worse, we've got Simons up there who were saying, if you come to me, I will give you this Holy Spirit and I will heal whatever's wrong with you. And so they, and again, they say, well, you know, maybe you don't agree with me in my deliverance ministry, but look at all the people. Uh, look at how many people I touch. Look at the look. That woman over there is crying. The ends justify the means. Well, no. Uh, you know, I've also watched this, and this is where it goes back to what we came from. This church planting, uh, this idea of church planting. That's almost do whatever it takes, and it doesn't matter how many people you hurt and offend on the way, as long as the church gets planted and as long as you have funding. And, and so in that case, it's not look at all the people it's, but look, I have a pulpit. We don't plant churches. We plant pulpits. And we say that, well, the whole point is that someone had to get up here to preach the gospel from this pulpit. And so even though no one's coming now, because I hurt everybody on the way up, uh, the ends justify the means because now I can be faithful in my preaching, whether they're faithful or not is another argument. 
So do the ends justify the means? No, the ends, the ends do not justify the means when the means change what the ends are about. Because if the ends are about gathering people, if the ends are about having some special power of your own in the Holy Spirit, if the ends are, uh, are, are about anything but the glorification of God, about anything other than the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the ends don't justify the means. You know, the means, the means becoming seeker sensitive, uh, emotional driven worship service, those means are going to change the end and you're going to have Simons coming to the altar in the altar call who think this will get me where I want to be because it's the emotional thing to do. So I, I'm sure I'll talk more about this kind of thing, but, but, you know, those are just, th- that really stands out to me. Uh, as something we we either give everybody a pass and say, well, just because they're proclaiming Christ, they're great. And on the other side of that, yes, there are times where I think we we divide over silliness. Um, we don't want to get crazy up in arms just because we have a disagreement on some level. We have to use some discernment. If If that person we disagree with is in fact proclaiming the whole counsel of God and the and the real the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're not harming anybody <laughs> yeah then we can probably back off a little bit and and realize that we have more in common with that person even if we disagree on on you know on baptism uh, or something like that but if those people aren't if their proclamation of the gospel is in fact hurting people physically, spiritually, emotionally, um, you know, choose your battles. I don't think, I don't think we, we need to be, uh, overzealous. There's a certain amount of zeal. I think you do need to have, but we don't need to be overzealous and go out and just take on people with no, with no grace. But, uh, but we don't have to tolerate that. Uh, because we are called to proclaim truth. And it may be just as easy as making sure that we are proclaiming truth in the face of those who are not. Uh, it may not even take a debate on a stage or or a, or a letter to the editor or something like that. You may not even have to get that aggressive about it. But those are my thoughts here on first Philippians, uh, first Philippians. There's not a second Philippians. You guys, that was a switching tabs over on my computer and my brain went blank kind of moment. You were here for it. It's real. I am human. Well, thanks for being with me this morning. Uh, that's going to wrap me up for now. I look forward to coming back next week. Uh, thanks for spending your time with me. Uh, until then, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Good day.